Hope is a fickle, dangerous thing. It steals your focus and aims it towards the possibilities instead of keeping it where it belongs on the probabilities. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. We're on episode 126 with myself, Ramia Amadan, Jacob Shemansky, and technical producer Nasreen Abdel Majid. I love today's quote. I, I think I made some like physical pain noises when I first read it, Jacob. You picked it. Where is it from? Who wrote it? This is from Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. Uh, I think on the surface, it's a plea for pragmatism in the face of mm. hope. Mm-hmm. But I think what it really is about is about the complexities of hope because it's it can lead you astray while it also keeps you going. It does both. It's a well, where do fickle you draw the mistress. line, right? Yeah, because yeah. we can easily get into the conversation around optimism and pessimism. But is hope really the same as optimistic, or is it you know fake optimism? I think hope is grasp, grasping for optimism. Hmm. That's but my. But then it sounds desperate, and that sounds dangerous. Mm, also, hope can be desperate. It is. Hmm. It is. Anyways, also, like, why why did you get that it? reaction from this quote? You said you felt like I don't physically know. I just, ill. Yeah, because it kind of feels like a reality check or a slap in the face this way, right? You're tiptoeing the line of hope. Do you know when you've now just are starting to believe in falsities? Because when you think back to probability, I almost think just gambling. Like, you mm-hmm. know what's going to happen. You know that this is either for you or against you. Uh, or like with you or against you. And um, I think that the lines of hope are way more gray than that. Yeah, this this quote is your friend grabbing you by the shoulders and shaking you and saying, yo, mm. get real. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm doing it again. I'm having it again. <laughs> Same reaction. <laughs> Moving on. We need a distraction. What do we want to talk about yeah, today? To... Okay, let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, on today's episode, we got two convos for you. Number one, the romanticy genre. Okay, if you're like me and you're like, I don't know what this is, it is uh, a very popular genre, I guess subgenre, mesh genre has blown up. It's blown up in the wild. And book talk is very responsible for this. This is a, what would you even call that? A category on TikTok? Mm. Are we calling them categories now? A category is a, it's a certain corner of TikTok. They're, they're tucked over sure. over there. They're doing their own thing. But uh, yeah, it's definitely yes. blown up in that yeah. section of TikTok. Yeah, and it's super fun. I love book talk. But anyways, what is it about the genre that's made it so irresistible to its uh, ravenous fan base? We're going to find out what the appeal is. We're going to find out why it's blowing up now and why it's book talk that's highly influential for how big it's getting. And Karen McKay and Teresa Power from Sealer are going to join us for that chat. Plus, in the second half, we're going to chat with uh, Sarah Hillis to talk about the merits and pitfalls of celebrity narrators Mm. uh, because we've had our fair share just on the show talking about reviewing books by celebrity narrators, not just the authors, but the celebrities themselves narrating slash authorating. And we're going to talk about sometimes why that works sometimes why it doesn't and you know are we putting too much pressure on our celebrity besties so let's start with um romanticy yeah 
Yeah. Karen McKay, Teresa Power from the Center for Equitable Library Access. They join us once a month, pretty much. Teresa's the content and access librarian. And uh, Karen is the communications manager. Hello, both of you. Welcome back. Hello. It's nice to have you on. Um, Who wants to take on the definition of romanticy? Not it. (laughs) Not it. Not it. Teresa, you're right. Really? Would you. Teresa was late coming on, so we kind of appointed you when I mean, you weren't don't, here. If I say it, it's a combo of, of uh, romance and fantasy. Would you hate me? That's <laughs> way, way too, too basic. basic. What else do what I else? have? <laughs> um, so romanticy, I, I, as a collection development kind of person, um, started coming across this term like more and more, I'd say in like the last year or so. But it's really interesting to actually read that Romanticy was first posted on Urban Dictionary as early as 2008, actually. So many, many years ago, this idea, that's that's been a while, while. this idea of Romanticy. um, uh, Yeah, so it's been around for a while. But really, like as you kind of alluded to, um, it's it's really exploded as um, a genre, and it's really thanks to social media, um, and to book talk and TikTok, and I think also the demographic as well that finds themselves um, on TikTok as well, that have really just made it um, really made it blow up. So, you know, at its basics, yes, it's a combo of uh, romance and fantasy um, but it's also a little bit more specific than that it's fantasy and that it has world building battles between good and evil dragons fairies all of those good things <laughs> but then it also combines um, popular romance tropes so things that we're also very familiar with so enemies to lovers plot is very big in romanticy. Um, explosive sex scenes are <laughs> also uh, smut steam, uh, spice is what people have called it. All seem to be um, what? elements of romanticy. And the books are really geared towards this new adult uh, age group. They've always been readers, but this is uh, more of a publishing marketing kind of ploy. And it's readers, new, new adults. Adult or is that a version uh, of No, young, young adult is oh. typically up until about age 18. And new adult is what people call um, readers in their late, like late teens. So 18 and above into their 20s as well. So that's, yeah. So romanticity is really for, um, for those folks. But one thing I also find super interesting about Romanticy is just about where many of the more popular authors kind of um, come about for, come from for um, inspiration for these books. And uh, we found in talking about this, Karen and I, that more of the, the more popular authors all seem to have been born around the same time. They're all in and around their 40s now. So they were really raised on kind of the same kinds of stories. And Sarah J. Maas, for example, her first story was based on the Cinderella story. So uh, she took the romantic elements of that, but really gave Cinderella an edge. So I think we also see that in Romanticy as well, is that 
you know, you have this, you know, those romantic elements that we grew up with, but also this empowerment of the main characters who are female. So they become powerful um, heroines in their stories and they have more agency in their narrative um, than, you know, what they were given in the past. Hmm. What I find interesting is that the demographic for the the main demographic that's interested in romanticy seems to be fairly narrow. Mm -hmm. It seems to be almost predominantly like young women from like 18 to 25. And I think that makes a lot of sense considering that this blew up on book talk and there's a lot of crossover between uh, those two demographics. I think it's pretty fair to say that the vast majority of, of people of people who read romanticy are also on TikTok. And I think people are really quick to call it chiclet, but you know, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah. contemporary mm. romance readers also fall into that same, that same demographic, that same, that same place on the internet as well. It's, uh, it's very, very popular, but you know, I think that, you know, we can see superficially what romanticy is about, but there's also, I think some, some more interesting elements to it. This, you know, giving these popular kind of tropes a bit of an edge or, you know, sisterhood and, and girlhood also seems to be um, a big factor in romanticy books as well. So I think these are also really interesting things to to explore. And one thing I've noticed in reading a lot of reviews for romanticy books is that the audience really seems to embrace these tropes, these like enemies to lovers and... Um, arranged marriage lovers and stuff like that like they love that stuff it's not that having a trope is bad like we would typically say it's just you have to uh put a twist on it add some spice that the other kind of spice or two types of spice here <laughs> and if you think about like these authors that grew up in the 90s and like it's just such, it's just so common you know what i mean in, in movies and in television as well so I can see where they're kind of drawing from. It's not a negative trope. It's just, it's such a familiar one. You know, there's some comfort, I think, in its familiarity too. If you were, you know, ever, if you grew, if you grew up in the nineties and, and um, you know, saw the movies and, and television shows that kind of worked around those premises. So Karen, um, tell us about your exposure into romanticy. I, I think that what I'm most curious about is why we create so much of this subgenre. And we talked about it uh, or, you know, combine genres together and make it into its own thing. Is it literally because of fan base? Because we know that people will eat it up once you've kind of locked it into its own compartment. Um, is there more to it? Teresa, you broke it down very well, like the elements of romanticy. But like, there's really a huge part of me that's like, but is this necessary? Well, I think that there's sort of two reasons for it. One is prob probably from the publisher's end. It's a It opens up a new um, avenue for marketing for them. It marketing. helps them, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It helps them with, um, you know, direct communications with the the target audience for this. And I think the other thing is it's a little bit, for lack of a better word, maybe a little bit tribal. Like these are our sisters. This is the, these are the stories we want to read. Um, I, I find it interesting that the cultural influences for romanticy are um, often sort of young, intelligent, 
powerful women who also want to be, um, uh, you know, to, to have something beyond just the the non-romantic story as part of their reading. So, you know, this is the generation that grew up on Harry Potter, Hermione, um, Marvel movies, Taylor Swift, Buffy, like those those characters that have um, have a life outside romance, but also want some romance in their life. So I think that that's part of why this has sort of um, gelled into its own subgenre that way, um, that, that it makes it easier for people to find these kinds of books, which is really, I mean, that's what genres are all about. Um, so I think that that's a really interesting piece of it. And, and when I was doing a bit of research into the, you know, the, how this came about and what the difference is between um, romanticy and just a, a fantasy novel with a romantic subplot. The the definition that I read is that um, that a fantasy novel with romance has sort of a larger external conflict that extends beyond the romance, whereas the romanticy the conflict tends to be tightly wound up in the romance. Um, so as Teresa said, you know, there's some forbidden love, there's love triangles, there's, uh, you know, enemies to lovers, those sorts of ideas. Um, and so, you know, I think that this probably meets the need for um, somewhat lighter reading, like it's a, you know, it's a, it's Concert, not necessarily a almost? deep, yeah, kind of. Um, but, uh, but, you know, maybe it's got a little bit more spice in both meanings of the word uh, for readers who want characters like strong female characters. Um, and so I, I think this is a really interesting genre. It does sort of lend itself to the, the question about how many subgenres do we need to, to have and when does that limit a book versus not limit a book? Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, I think people that's writing to fit into this genre now. Because it, you can see the benefit, right? Obviously, there's so many plus sides to just knowing that this is a thing, knowing that there's enough people who are totally looking for this and this is their kind of main go-to and then say, I'm going to write for this audience. Um, but it also kind of thing makes me think, like, does it get too rigid? Like, it's, it's does it start feeling so cookie cutter that we're like, you know, it, it's kind of a fad more than a fad more of a fad than it is like a longevity situation for genres like this it's you know just it's trending at the moment i mean Teresa said it's been trending since it's been out since 08 so that's kind yeah. of a long time but but it's still. it is sort of trending uh, more predominantly right now yes um yes. Uh, i think that there's some space for the category to grow like when Teresa and i were chatting about it yesterday we were looking at um what kind of elements of diversity are in this category and right now there's not much it's mostly uh, white yeah. women writing for mm for um, young women within a certain age demographic, but there's not a lot of LGBTQ, there's not a lot of um, diversity in terms of, of um, race or ethnocultural kinds of characters or authors even. Um, so there's there's space for that to grow. And I think that we'll probably see that. I mean, just the, the genre's just sort of developed in the last, I don't know, I would say, what, Teresa, two years? If that, maybe? honestly, yeah. Yeah. And so I think that there's space for it to grow, but I... I don't know. I do think that it will it will maybe uh, start to decline, but it's 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 almost a natural evolution from a lot of the YA stuff that we've seen into slightly more adult but similar kinds of fantasy world building um, kinds of of reading. So it's actually an interesting kind of phenomenon to me. 
So who are the big names right now that are making this genre blow up? Like if I wanted to get started in romanticy, whose books am I looking at? The two biggest ones I would say are Sarah J. Maas um, and Rebecca Yaros. Mm. Those are the two that seem to have really like um, populated the genre, uh, uh, grew the genre and are really the the ones who have a lot of success because of book talk and and social media. I think that they're super popular because of those people there that love their books and talk about their books and keep them employed, basically. Um, so I, yeah, so I would say that those two authors are probably the two biggest ones now. And if you wanted to get a good idea of um, the genre. Uh, you would probably want to start start there. It's interesting. Rebecca Yarrow's book, Fourth Wing, won the Goodreads Best Romanticy category mm-hmm. for 2023, so last year. Uh, and it won by 10 times as many votes as the second on the list. Like <laughs> Not was, even close. <laughs> not even close. Yeah, yeah. it was three-something wow. million to 30 or 300,000. Um, like, just blew the competition out of the the water. So. But I see, I, I think this is another case of the demographics of Goodreads being written. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The demographics yes. <laughs> of romanticy. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a lot of these books are written as um, a series of, you know, five, six, seven kinds of books. And again, I kind of go back to who's reading these books and what, what did they grow up on, right? Like that's the that's the Harry Potter generation. And even, you know, there's lots of, of examples of these authors having big book release parties like independent bookstores holding parties and selling tickets and I mean that's really that's really a Harry Potter phenomenon I don't ever recall books being released like that before Harry Potter with that kind of fanfare Um, and and you know these are the these are the readers who often want their authors to be almost celebrities these readers are the same ones that made Rupi Carr into a, a superstar, right? Like she sells out venues just around poetry. And so um, I, I think that this category and, um, and these readers really love an experience and love to have their authors be um, almost like superstars themselves. So I think that there's that interplay that, that you don't find in some of the other genres. I'll add that um, Sarah Moss is a real rock star too. Like she's got 1.6 million followers on Instagram, and at her her book launches, she's like wearing Gucci, yes, or, like, I... super, <laughs> super yes. tall boots with stilettos. <laughs> stilettos. I, I, um, Karen and I were commenting about the the Gucci <laughs> before. It's definitely um, definitely an aesthetic, but I would also say so indicative of a generation, like mm. the way that we celebritize people it's just uh, like people online it's just kind of wild how people will post things on instagram or on 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 tiktok and they're like oh my gosh like i woke up and i had 13 million views and all of a sudden you're a celebrity that that needs to output content on a regular basis to keep it up so it's just i i think that idea of like now authors becoming celebrities is just so so typical of 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 a generation really and very involved online very, too. like sometimes yeah. i'm i'm on reddit and somebody posts uh like a review of a book and the first comment is going to be from the author saying oh thanks you're too kind. oh and then there's been cases like, of authors <laughs> like um 
of shaming other authors online and yes. yeah behind yeah, yeah. the scenes you don't know it's that author yeah so oh it's like an old school rap it really beef, is except it's authors true i yeah. wonder with with romanticity as well if there's like almost an element of like fan fiction that's part of it like fan fiction in the sense you almost gotta plug that right in to the intention yeah, no it, because fantasy it has so much fan fiction so yeah much room for and it. just the way that you know you're kind of pulling on these characters that you grew up with whether it's like hermione or if it's like buffy or um i mentioned um cinderella with sarah j mass and her and her first book which was based on the cinderella story there's almost like that kind of yeah or like an om- uh, maybe an homage, but I, I I rather think it's it's like fan fiction kind of in a way, but maybe better, hmm. maybe better fan fiction <laughs> for sure. Yeah, and and I don't know, to me because this kind of thing is still very much a uh, informative situation. Like you know, Jacob, you read a lot of fantasy, so I feel like you have just dappled into this side of things mm-hmm. if not read about it you've leaned into the understanding of it whereas for me I'm, I'm thinking like wow this is quite a phenomenon let's keep breaking it down you know why or how and how do you keep it going but with all of this interact uh, interaction or room for interaction in all these different ways I can tell that people just kind of melt right into it well I have a theory as to why uh, fantasy and romance can emerge at this point in time. Bear with me. Okay. okay. So for the longest time, things that young women and like girls enjoyed was like relentlessly and ruthlessly mocked by mainstream society. Think about like mm. Justin Bieber and the Twilight Saga and One Direction. Like if girls like that stuff, like mainstream society was just ruthless with you. And that includes romance, too. Like, it was always a bit of a naughty secret, especially if it was smut, you know? Like, you wouldn't talk about it publicly because people would probably make fun of you. Let's be real. But there's been, over the past, like, decade, I'd say, like, people are a lot more open about it. There's like, yeah, I read smut. What are you going to do about it? And Unapologetic. Unapologetic, exactly. And fantasy, for the longest time, was very uh, male-oriented. Like, we're let's let's not pretend it wasn't like in lord of the rings there were only three female characters and none of them ever talked to each other and when uh jk rowling came up with the first harry potter book her publisher instead of making her pen name joanne rowling they made it jk rowling so that mm-hmm. because they thought that they didn't want that audiences wouldn't read a book from a female author this is a bit of a stretch but listen i used to play a game called the movies and in this game you control like a movie studio and you produce movies you manage your actors your directors and choose what kind of movies you want to make there was a really cool mechanic that let you um that basically influenced what genres audiences would want so for example like during the great depression like people weren't in a laughing mood so comedies wouldn't do well and uh, in the late 60s and like to the mid 70s sci-fi was super popular because the moon landing had just happened point is Mm. what happens in the world shapes the tastes of audiences and what what happened in fantasy in like the early 2000s was that i think people were really over this uh escapism of fantasy 
and they wanted something more gritty and realistic. And that's why Grimdark mm-hmm. came out. And Grimdark was big for like 15 years from like the 2000s all the way like 2015 and then it kind of had a falling out. So two things happen at once. In the fantasy world, people wanted cozy fantasy again. And then uh, women were much more open and honest about their love of romance. So those two things put together, romanticy becomes a thing because one, people wanted cozy fantasy and there was like never a bigger demand for escapist romance. Yeah. I mean, just anecdotally, you can kind of follow this trajectory, right? On what people need, where people are going to, that kind of, yeah, there's there's so much serious stuff we need to learn about, but then I got to get back to this kind of comfort, familiar escapism, as mm-hmm. you say, um, which makes a lot mm-hmm. of and sense. And romance and fantasy are escapism, without a doubt. Yes. Yeah. If yeah. they're not trying to make a big Inertly. point about the world, they're oh not trying gosh. to teach you anything, it's pure no. escapism. So lighthearted, mm-hmm. so cookie cutter, well, you know, to oversimplify, but you know what I mean? Like, there's a formula. It's formulaic, right? When we talk like Nora Roberts with all her romance stuff, like where you know what you're getting. You know what you're getting. It's, it's part of that comfort to kind of um, go there and say, yeah, I, that's what I want. Like this chill experience of a book right now. And and you see it not just with books, right? Like you see it all over the place, mm-hmm. different platforms. I mean, personally, I like the escapism. Do you? Yeah. Yeah, who doesn't? Uh, yeah. The thing is like, the question mark still for me is like, what do you, do you turn to something very specific like romanticy when you're looking for that escapism? Or are we just doing it and kind of unaware of the the conversation around it? Well, I think this is where the social media comes in, right? Like some friend will tell another friend. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Or you'll see it on social media or, you know, my kids will say to me, oh, mommy should read this book, whatever the book might be. And it's just, uh, you know, because there's so much um, capacity in book talk for creating these different demands or, you know, in social media in general. Um, I think that that's how partly the reason that they become so popular is they get passed from person to person, right? From friend to friend. But I I also want to come back to an idea about just escapism. And, um, you know, I I think that that we all right now uh, need to have something that is cozy, that is a little sentimental, that is a little bit... um, mushy for lack of a better word i mean i was spending some time with my dad he 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 watches the women's channel christmas things and he just keeps watching them i mean he's an 86 year old man and he loves them because they're soft for lack of a better word like they're just easy and you don't have to think beyond just what's the you know the words in front of you on the page and the story there's not necessarily a lot of depth that you need to go into you can you can find the themes in any writing but um it's it's just a comfort and um, it'll be interesting f- for me to see if the genre sort of expands beyond just um, young women. Like if we start to see it normalizing in, um, yeah. you know, with male readers, um, with LGBTQ readers, especially if they come out with content that's relevant. Um, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see how this category kind of grows. Grows, 
or plateaus or yes. what other categories we can get out of this category, right? Like there's just a lot of that. Um, we're making it more and more niche on so many levels, whether it be age groups or, uh, you know, content or diversity, right? Like the representation of characters and and uh, settings and things like that. It's really like we're we're able to just hashtag the heck out of things nowadays, which is pretty interesting mm-hmm. to kind of follow. Whatever you need to find, however specific it is, you will find it out there. Exactly. I, want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to throw romanticy under the bus, though. I don't know if that's quite what we're doing here, but I do want to give it due credit for what it's trying to do, which is, you know, to incorporate not just like the softer, more human elements of people, of like wanting to be loved or to have like a partner or or whatever. Mm. Um, but also that there's this element of like girlhood and sisterhood that seems to be like an Mm. important piece to this and you know if we're speaking to like the state of the world banding together (laughs) uh, you know for Mm. uh, to survive seems like a very human thing to want to do especially amongst your sisters you know you you talk about your your sisters or like um, girlhood. Do you mean from like the characters in the books' perspective or from the fan base's perspective? I mean from the the way that the characters have been written. I suppose if that's uh, mm, right. oh, I was thinking fan. I, you know what? It, well, I think it, I it think is both. both actually because if you look at the way that people are congregating online, for sure there's like a sisterhood being built exactly. around this and making it okay to pick up. Yeah, stuff absolutely. Like this. I mean, absolutely. I think the romance genre forever has been maligned by people as less than, um, of a genre to read versus like, you know, something big and yeah. manly like history or, you know, like whatever, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Uh, so you know what I mean, but like the comparison is definitely made, and and you know people have felt not confident to want to be like I'm a romance reader. That's what I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people are a lot yeah. more open about it. Um, I found a yeah. really good uh, description of what Sarah J. Maas's uh, series are like. I really like this one. So it's a beautiful blending of a trio of things. It's the poetic romanticism of a Taylor Swift album, <laughs> the extraordinary world building of the Harry Potter series, and the jaw-dropping mm. crossovers yes. of the Marvel series. And you know, the Marvel oh. thing is actually really interesting to to think about because if I'm interpreting this right in her books, there's actually um, crossover of characters between her series, I believe. So, like, they're doing this whole Marvel cinematic bringing all the different individual superheroes and like kind of crisscrossing them together. That is very Marvel-esque. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I can only imagine how much... This is when it's done uh, right, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine how much shipping there is in the, in the, in the fan bases, (laughs) right? Gotta be. Well, that's the whole idea of the term, right? They basically shift the term to get us to romanticy. Um, I just want to go back to one of Teresa's earlier points, and I don't mean to be throwing this genre under the bus at all. I do think that it's got a really interesting combination of 
um, strong female characters who yes. you know, are feminist to some degree, like just that they are not, they're kind of down with the patriarchy. We're going to take our own, make our own decisions, do our own things, mm. um, combined with the romance, which I think, you know, young women probably really, um, it really appeals to them because that's how they are in their own life, right? They want to be strong and capable and independent and able to make their own decisions and create their own worlds. And they still want a partner to lean on and to share that with. And so, you know, I think that's probably part of it as well, is that this melding of these two genres are more representative of what young women today are thinking about or feeling, you know, whether they're readers of this genre or not, they, they want to have it more, um, a more complete character, a more complete life. And, and this starts to get them there, this kind of, these kinds of stories. You got to give the Women people what they want. want. Yeah. <laughs> they do. Wow, this is a deep dive. Thank you so much, guys. Our pleasure. It's always so great to talk to you. Yeah, mm -hmm. this is fantastic. Stick with us after the break. Um, celebrity narrators, yay or nay? Sarah Halis is joining us for that conversation. You're listening to AMI Audiobook Review. We'll be right back. Welcome back to AMI Audiobook Review. I'm Jacob Shamansky here with Rami Amuthan. Before the break, we were talking about romanticy and how that genre blew up recently. That was with the folks from SELA, the Center for Equitable Library Access. Uh, but right now, let's bring in Sarah Hillis because we want to talk about celebrity narrations. Mm. What's up, Sarah? Hey. How hot are you topic. guys doing? Yeah, yeah, hot topics. Why did you want to bring this up? Like, is Did something I happen? Well, I just think I was just um, skimming through the Audi nominations. Um, I actually don't know the date of the Audis, but it must be in March. It usually is. Uh, and uh, there's a whole bunch of um, celebrity narrated books in the nomination categories and just a whole bunch of different categories. I can't even name them all because there's just so many. Um, a lot of them are narrator narrated by author. Like, there's a category for narrated by author, of course. and And then just... A couple of them, like Meryl Streep, for example, is narrated for Ann Patchett's book, uh, Tom Lake. Mm. And I didn't think of Meryl Streep as a narrator, but apparently she did this one. So Tom cool. Lake was you recommended know. before the break as well. Yeah. By Karen cool. McKay. Everybody mm -hmm. seems to like it. Yeah. So, yeah, I just thought I'd look at, you know, in, in the interest of being a bit different and trying to, this, what, what can we talk about narration? Well, what is what is it to be a celebrity narrator? What I mean by that is a, a narrator that, has already been a celebrity somewhere else and they're brought in either because their book is by them ostensibly or uh their book is like suited to their talents whatever or it fits with their celebrity status right. or whatever kind of thing um right. yeah so we're calling these celebrity narration narrated books but really it's mostly actors mm. yeah it's pretty much right. actors and pretty much. Yeah, we we have a couple clips singers. here. Yeah, we have some singers. Well, but, but, uh, but singing but Dolly, really is acting though. Dolly Parton has been an actor too. That's true. Um, Bono, yeah. I don't know if he's ever acted in anything. Yeah. Uh, he's a performance artist though. Yeah, right? he's okay. I think it's like, yeah. he's a a performer. Well, we're right? we really okay. nitpicking the heck out of this. Wow, yeah. celebrity yeah. back to celebrities. <laughs> so yeah, so for the I mean, I think there are a couple sports people that have done their their memoirs and stuff. If I can remember, it's ages ago now. So there's a couple of different people that aren't actually actors that do it. But, um, you know, sometimes you kind of wonder why 
like why it had to be the celebrity because sometimes they just aren't really great at narration right they just they just did they don't know what to they don't know how to do it yeah so it's not like it's not like their fault it's just they're not (laughs) narrators right they're not yeah they're not narrators they don't understand what it is to narrate a book um so yeah that's that's kind of what i just want to talk about is is what the appeal is there's certainly going to be many more of them as time goes on um i think because audiobooks are always trying to sell audiobooks right yeah right. and if there's a big name <laughs> attached it's naturally going to get more naturally sales. and speaking of naturally yeah. if it's a memoir or whatever you often just find the celebrity themselves narrating their own piece but there's some caveats to that as well yeah i would yeah. say like what what caveats like ghostwriting it's if there's yeah, ghostwriting, like sometimes it might be helpful. It's like to, my uh, memoir, but somebody else ghost wrote it, so I'm reading somebody else's writing still. You know yeah, what I mean? it's kind of it's kind of weird sometimes. Right. I don't know. I feel like having the person who wrote the memoir, if it's an autobiography, it's great to hear that person's voice as well. Yeah. Even yeah. if and the I narration think, is subpar, I think you yeah. get a pass. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I have a friend. Obama, I beg to differ. What? I couldn't get you're through gonna it. You're going to diss Michelle Obama? I'm so sorry. I wish I didn't have to. I think you're going to gonna, like lose a whole bunch of listeners I, here. I, I really <laughs> wish not. I wish the people who agree with me would stand up and support because I couldn't get through her book. Truly. We'll, we'll, have, to, we'll have to listen to how she sounds when we get there. Because mm-hmm. yeah. we do have some Michelle Obama. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I love her voice. I love her speeches. I love her presentations. I just want to put that all out there. But I wish that she had read her book a little differently or maybe it was the writing maybe it's not oh, even about the narration. i wonder mm. see i don't know i haven't mm. read either of them i must say yeah. <laughs> well let's let the audience uh, judge up. for themselves <laughs> yeah. let's listen to the clip so this is the light we carry by michelle obama sometimes you recognize a tool only after it starts working for you and sometimes it turns out The smallest of tools can help us to sort through the largest of feelings. I learned this a couple of years ago when I mail-ordered myself some knitting needles without quite realizing what I needed them for. This was during the first fraught weeks of the pandemic, and I was in our house in Washington, D.C. I'd been online shopping in a scattershot way, laying in things like board games and art supplies on top of food and toilet paper, unsure of how anything would go, fully and sheepishly aware that impulse shopping is a classic American response to uncertainty. (laughs) It's coming back. (laughs) The one I listened to was Becoming, by the way, not this one. But, um, yep. Your judgment still stands. Yep. That, by the way, is published by Penguin Random House Audio, The Light We Carry by Michelle Obama. So what do you specifically not like about it, Rams? I feel like her reading is okay, but for a long book, for a long-form listening piece, um, it just it was not dynamic enough for me. Very dry, right? Very. Yeah, mm. I can see what you're saying. I And I, I mean, as I say, I haven't read any of them, so I, don't, I can't judge... Um, there's a lot of, I mean, we call it vocal fry, uh, going on mm-hmm. where she just, it's just the way her voice works. And because yeah. she's not, um, a trained vocal user, it, it goes that way. Mm-hmm. So that can be a bit obnoxious for people who don't 
who find that really annoying. It's where you sound like this sort of thing. Yeah. You know? yeah. The <laughs> whole yeah, way through. It's, it's up in your throat instead of like low from the bottom of your lungs, right? From your mm-hmm. diaphragm. Yeah. So there's there's Rami's opinion of Michelle Obama. Excuse me. You, you guys are <laughs> definitely bandwagoned on that. No, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I and mean, that's that's kind of what I've been I was sort of thinking about yeah. when I was thinking about this is sometimes it can be it's about the person and not about the skill of the narration. Mm. It's about the fact that she's narrating her own book and everybody's like, oh, it's Michelle Obama. Exactly. Cool. Exactly. And she writes I'll, really I'll well. It. She does. Yeah. It's just her reading of her writing just does. It feels, feels very disconnected mm. to me. I'd like to point out that she's the only uh, author of the four clips that we got here that wasn't a singer or an actor. So she uh, hasn't had that... Yeah, vocal training, right? That's the common denominator here. And she's not good at narrating. I, I totally agree. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else do you want to point out? Let's get to another clip. This one yeah. is from Tom Hanks, uh, from his book that he wrote himself, The Making of Another Motion Picture Masterpiece. A little over five years back, I had a message on my voicemail from one Al McTeer, which I heard as Al McTeer. From a number in the 310 area code, this no-nonsense woman asked me to call her back regarding a thin little memoir I had written called A Stairway Down to Heaven about my years of tending bar in a small subterranean club that played live music way back in the 1980s. At the time, I was also sort of a freelance journalist in and around Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I wrote movie reviews. These days, I teach creative writing, common literature, and film studies at Mount Chisholm College of the Arts in the hills of Montana. Bozeman is a gorgeous, if stark, drive away. I get very few voicemails from Los Angeles, California. My boss read your memoir, Ms. McTeer told me. He says you write like he thinks. Your boss is brilliant, I told her. Instantly engaging, you know? Yeah, I put him, I put him for narration in the Stephen King level of narration skill. Mm, yeah. Kind of. It's there. I tend to agree. What? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Stephen I know King exactly. is as good an actor as Tom Hanks. No, not, I don't say no, that. No, I'm saying pause. a narrator. Narrator. Narration. <laughs> really? We are only no. talking narration here. And I and agree I, with you. It's got a, it's got a, it's oh. engaging. Mm-hmm. It's not like. It's not overly performative. But well, some some of his voices, he goes a little crazy with them. Does he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does go. Does a bit Stephen crazy. King do that? Okay, I no, don't, I don't. No, think he's so. less. He's yeah. less that way. But there's but. there's a personality. Like, yeah, this yeah. is a fictional book, by the way. So that's not Tom Hanks talking about Tom Hanks. He's talking about a character in the book. So um, that's another thing to just note. Uh, also published by Penguin Random House Audio, of course. Mm. Uh, the making of another motion picture masterpiece. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean he's 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 quite engaging. He just gets you into the story. Um, I think there's possibly a bit of pacing, kind of funky stuff going on, but but for the most part, it's okay. Like it's cool. It's cool. I don't mind. We're speeding it up anyway. It's Tom Hanks. It's Tom Hanks. <laughs> well, yeah, like, I'm not one of those speed up people, but <laughs> <laughs> well, you wouldn't have to speed up this one. He does very well with the natural pace. I think. What's a yeah. book you've recently read um, that you want to? shout out a celebrity narrator on or feel like they did well or didn't do well 
Um, well, a long time ago, I read a book, uh, one of these, I don't know if it's a signature, audio, Audible does these signature performances, and it's like a celebrity narrating a classic book of literature. And I forget if this is what this was, but um, it was Tim Robbins narrating The Great Gatsby. And Tim Robbins is a director, and he's been an actor, I think, too. The book is hard to put, I mean, I, I think you can put life into it, but it's it's a bit of a diff- difficult one to do. But I think it could have been more engagingly narrated than how he did it, in my opinion. It was just kind of, this is what I'm right, this is what I'm reading, and this is the next thing that I'm reading, and then I'm going to read this next. You know, it was just, <laughs> mm. <laughs> it just seemed a little, mm. not quite, you know, but but uh, the, I'm, I'm, I'm picky, I don't know. I think it's okay to be picky if we're just constantly getting audiobooks uh, in our, you know, feeds or in our habits, right? Like we're, we consume audiobooks more than anything else. Uh, maybe I'm not, I'm speaking for everybody and I shouldn't be, but. I think around this table, yeah, that's yes, fair to say. Exactly. Yeah, much. So, you know, it was celebrity or not, you almost, and I, I, there are exceptions to this. Like I get hyped when I have certain celebrities dropping memoirs and then they, I know they're the ones narrating, but. Uh, For the most part, we are looking for quality and we are going to sit here and say, but she didn't do a great job narrating her thing. It's not just the novelty of this narrator. uh, Sorry, the celebrity being the narrator of the book. But if you look at Neil Gaiman, um, who's a fantasy author, um, he's written books on mythology, lots of things. He does narrate a lot of his stuff uh, because people have realized that he's got an awesome voice. He's done public reading. He does public readings all the time. And uh, I don't know if he has acting experience. It almost sounds like to me he might have had some because he's just got this way of just narrating something that takes you right into the story, um, whether it's his book or or not. Um, Julia Whelan, of course, narrates any book she writes. And she's actually said it's it's kind of hard to get into the narrator mode having been a writer uh, of the same book because you're like, well, look, I did that wrong and that wrong and, and that one didn't get edited the way it should have. And I have to just it's, narrate it as though it's not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's a t- she criticizes yeah. herself a lot. Any creative <laughs> will know that sometimes it's difficult to go back through your own works, whether that's like listening back to your own music, reading your own poetry, reading your own books. It can be tricky. And imagine having yeah. to read your entire book back at yourself and then probably listen back to yourself reading your own book mm-hmm. i couldn't i couldn't no. oh my god uh get to another sample yeah okay wanted, which one do you want to do we have two left uh we can do the bono let's i haven't even listened to the bono one so this is called surrender by bono from you two published by Ren- penguin random house audio goodness i was born with an eccentric heart in one of the chambers of my heart where most people have three doors I have two, two swinging doors, which on Christmas 2016 were coming off their hinges. The aorta is your main artery, your lifeline, carrying the blood oxygenated by your lungs and becoming your life. But we have discovered that my aorta has been stressed over time and developed a blister, a blister that's about to burst, which will put me in the next life faster than I can make an emergency call faster than I can say goodbye to this life. See, what a cliffhanger. It's hard to judge this one yeah. because we only get internal monologue, 
right? Like, I want to hear some dialogue. I want to hear how I feel about it after listening to it for four yeah, hours. And, and yeah, I don't know how that'll be, but but uh, I mean, it for one thing, it's Bono and like Bono, like yeah. wow, man, you know, voice. Irish accent, yeah, cool But yeah, and aneurysm, right? Wow, I Crazy. know. See, that's the other thing. Like the content is so believable when he reads it and i i think that you know you make a good point jacob about dialogue and it just mm, knowing where they can go with their voice i guess but if you're just talking about as this person reads are you paying attention to what they're saying or are you sitting there going oh my gosh i don't know if i can listen to this for this long and it didn't take me long to actually just start paying attention to the content because there yeah. is that phase right where you're going hmm Hmm. Is this, am I gonna like this? Uh, okay, that's what happened with Michelle Obama. For that oh. whole clip, I was like, "Oh dear, <laughs> what is she talking about now?" I need to adjust. <laughs> yeah, I need to adjust. <laughs> wow. Uh, whereas with Bono, immediately, I don't know if it's just the content or his delivery was so smooth about the con or with the content. So, celebrity narrators. I mean, celebrities are generally pretty good with their voices. And yeah. people who get tapped to do audiobooks will also generally have very nice voices. Because across yeah. the board, they always choose audiobook narrators that have nice voices. Okay, yeah. great. But it's more than just having a nice voice. Exactly. Like, you need, need to be able to enunciate properly. Maybe even do some voices if you want to do more uh, engaging Technically, read. you have to enunciate, but that's okay. Enunciate? What did I say? You said enunciate. Enunciate? Oh my god! You're an English major. I'll see myself. Out. Please. <laughs> but yeah, you know, you have to enunciate properly. You have to um, like prepare yourself, prepare the book. Know if it's characters. Know the characters. Uh, know how they interact. That kind of stuff, and that takes experience. It takes experience. I used to work with interpreters. And they always said that when you want to interpret something, to do the best job possible, you need to fundamentally understand what is being yeah. said. You can't just translate words and say it out loud. When yeah. you're narrating an audiobook, you're interpreting what's on the page. Uh -huh. Right? So you need to be able to be a very good reader and understand the subtext and what's really going on to be able to give a proper good uh, narration. Yeah. And I think that's something that comes with experience that these professional narrators are going to do that maybe don't have the clout that celebrity narrators have, but they definitely have that advantage. It's not like all celebrities do their own narration either. They don't. Mm, I yes, mean, so yeah. you, there's a lot of autobiographies out there that are narrated by professional narrators. Probably because, for the better. Yeah, because... <laughs> yeah. And a lot of times, I've, uh, some of the people I've profiled, they've said, oh, yeah, I worked with, you know... Mick Jagger to narrate, you know, whatever, whatever book it was or whatever, that kind of things. Like I, I, I talked to him about his life and, you know, learned about him and tried to get into the, the mode of that person without doing their voice or whatever, but just try to, mm. you know, get into their, their head a little bit. Uh, let's end on one more sample. Yeah. Let's end uh, best for last. This is behind the scenes by Dolly Parton. Behind the Seams, My Life in Rhinestones, tells the stories behind some of my favorite outfits, both on and off stage. 
It also paints a picture of the evolution of my own personal style that I first developed growing up in the backwoods of East Tennessee. I always loved makeup. I wanted to be pretty. Back then, any woman who wore makeup in the mountains was considered trashy, but I didn't care. When I started buying my own makeup, I also started dressing according to how I felt which meant wearing tight, low-cut outfits that my mama made. Now, I remember feeling powerful enough to go up against my daddy or my grandpa to say, now that ain't that tight, that ain't that low-cut, it ain't that much. And they'd say, yes, it is, but I'd be willing to get my butt whooped for it. Oh, my God. Oh, there you go. Dolly, wow. <laughs> Dolly Parton, that, that's again published by uh, Penguin Random House Audio, Behind the Seams. You gotta she love Dolly well Parton. Be just sitting here with us, honestly. Yeah, honestly. that's awesome. <laughs> Sarah, you're the best. Thank you. We'll catch up next month. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah Hill is joining us for Know Your Narrator. We were getting into celebrity narrators. Uh, let's take a quick look at the CELA homepage before we go. Go to celalibrary.ca for the whole catalog of books they got up there. Three feature titles are The Fury by Alex Michaelides, suspense and thriller title. Unbroken by Angela Sterrett, and this is Indigenous Peoples in Canada, Canadian biography. The Beasting by Paul Murray, serious and literary fiction. That's it, Jacob. What are we talking about next week? Next week we're talking about titles because, listen, titles can be super misleading. They can be cringy. They can be really over the top. And let's not lie to ourselves, we've all passed on a book because it has a stupid title. We judge books by their cover, okay? That's not changing anytime soon. Yeah, that's not changing anytime (laughs) soon. So we're having Amar Khan come on to uh, help us break down what makes a good title. It's going to be a silly conversation because because we have a giant list of stupid freaking titles that are really cringe. So looking forward to it. We've (laughs) been adding on this list for a while. (laughs) Call us with your comments, 1-866-509-4545. Email us at feedback at ami.ca. That's it for this week. You're joining us, Ramia Amuddin, Jacob Shymansky, Nasreen Abdel-Majid on AMI Audiobook Review. And until next time, happy audiobook listening. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.